I think we have every single style of hair. <laughs> what? Have we? Have you got long hair? Back. Max, I'm not going to comment. And Ben, your hair is scruffy. It's amazing. Thank you for the scruffy. Yeah, Cohen, that's great. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another Sunday Roast. We have two wonderful guests once again with us. Ben, would you like to introduce yourself? Yep, sure. I'm Ben, uh, Ben Chambers. I do a little radio show called uh, 16 Million Rising, which I've kind of rebranded as uh, single-minded rejoiners from now on. <laughs> it's the same acronym. Uh, and I've just migrated partially to YouTube with a little channel there called SMR Bite Size. Five-minute videos every weekday. Uh, on different topics and you'll find links to both in the description and we have simon simon can you tell us a, a little bit about yourself or anyone who doesn't remember you from before <laughs> hi yeah uh, so i've been here a few two or three times before um, my name's simon i run a channel called the track record um i do mostly geopolitical uh map animation videos online um, but I've also got a keen interest in UK politics and I dive into that occasionally as well, which is why I'm here. Fantastic. Great to have you. Um, my wonderful co-host, Alex, can you tell us a little bit about yourself for anyone who's new to the channel? I've got to say, Simon, you've got a lava lamp. You're fully converted. <laughs> I am. I, I mean, yeah. yeah. I sometimes wonder, did you convert <clears throat> us? I d uh, where did I get the lava? I've had the lava lamp for two years, I think. Uh, yeah. Oh, well, maybe. All hail. Yeah. All hail yes, the lava all lamp. All hail. All hail. <laughs> It's clearly one of those things like vinyl that's coming back in a big way because I, I kind of thought lava lamps were a little bit late 80s, early 90s. Maybe I'm 70s, wrong. 70s, no. 70s, crikey. Okay, all right. <laughs> I run a YouTube channel called Political X, also known as Alex, and I'm a historian. And my wonderful co-host, Max. My name is Max. I run the Robespierre channel where I talk about British politics and Brexit in particular. Alex, what are we first talking about today? So much, isn't there? Every week, every week, it's really hard actually not to pick a single subject. I mean, let's just go for Brexit, but particularly what uh, Ben brought up. Are there two Brexit parties? Yeah, I've just done a video about this this evening that's going to go out later on. Um, well, actually, no, I say this evening. It's, uh, it would have been back on uh, Thursday before today because it's Sunday today, isn't it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you can edit that bit right out. No, it's um, it's it seems to be an increasingly big issue at the moment. I'm seeing an awful lot of people, understandably, attacking Labour's position, attacking Starmer's position. He has said some pretty batshit crazy things recently. I mean, that I, I just it, it's the definitive nature of them. We will never rejoin the single market. We are not going to go back into the customs union. That's a debate for the past. But I believe in the same article in The Express, he actually used the phrase, it's important that we as politicians are honest with you. Now, the only person, as far as I'm aware at the moment, who has a profile in the House of Commons being honest about Brexit is the Tory MP, Tobias Elwood. Politicians need to read the room. This is the generation that's coming forward to saying, we're not accepting this model of Brexit. And no political party is really willing to embrace this. You're dismissing the single market I remember when we had this debate on Brexit, it was Dan Hannan, it was uh, Nigel Farage, it was uh, David Frost and Boris Johnson all said staying in the single market was part of the deal. That was what they said during the referendum itself, that departing the European Union meant that we could stay in. We ended up with this silly debate which got polarised and no one is re recognising the fact that this is costing our nation 4% of our GDP every, every year. And if you want more money to pay for uh, nurses, you want more money for all these other things we want to do, we need to be braver uh, about recognising where the nation wants us as politicians to actually go. I'm very confused about what Labour's trying to do. I have to tell myself 
that um he's being advised by a, a core group of advisors who understand that he needs to win power to affect any kind of change and to do that he's got a he's got battles waging on many fronts he's he's got the right wing controlled media which aren't going to let him off the hook in the way they didn't with Jeremy Corbyn He's 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 obviously got the Conservative Party. He's got us rejoiners. He's got Brexiters. He's got to regain the the red wall seats. So I think in, a, in some respects, he's saying whatever he feels he needs to say or has been told to say to win back power. My view is that I wish people some people could see the bigger picture. I've seen some comments online just today. Uh, people posting memes suggesting that if, if Starmer gets into power, he will turn the UK into and I'm not kidding, a fascist dictatorship. I've constantly seen references to the Tories and Labour being two cheeks of the same arse. Uh, and, and you know, we've all heard the notion that, you know, that, that Starmer's a red Tory. I'm not happy with Starmer. I've got every sympathy with every uh, pro-European, anti-Brexit person out there who is not happy with, with his position, with the Labour Party's position. But like I say, I have to tell myself there's a bigger picture here that because we have first past the post as our electoral system, unless you live in a constituency where the Lib Dems or maybe even the Greens mount the strongest possible challenge to a sitting or prospective Tory MP, it's not just, you know, you've got the luxury in some constituencies of being able to vote Lib Dem or Green. It's an obligation, really, to to vote against what you don't want as opposed to for what you do until or unless we get a proportional representation. But I just think he's being advised. He's following that advice to win power. I want to believe that when Labour do form what I hope will be a minority government propped up by the Lib Dems, maybe even the Greens, uh, and they get some of their agenda through, that um, he will begin to rebuild those broken bridges with the EU. And a lot of it will be done by stealth. I think a lot of... Um, uh, a lot of voters who he's won back from the Red Wall won't realise what he's doing when he rebuilds bridges with Horizon, perhaps with Erasmus and other agencies like that. Um, he'll he'll be doing it all under the banner of making Brexit work in the same way that he hopefully refines a trade deal. So I think all those things that he will do under the banner of making Brexit work will please some of us rejoiners who can see the bigger picture. But I've got every sympathy with people who are just saying, you know what, I'm, that's it. That's me done. I'm going to vote Lib Dem. I'm voting Green. I don't know what he's doing. Um, the comments about the, the, the European Union nicking our dinner money were just utterly unnecessary. I don't know why he needed to say something that divisive. I mean, that reeks that of the kind of divisive uh, conservative propaganda being put out. It's them and us dividing people. I, I don't get it. it. It baffles me. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I agree with a lot of that, really. I think with Starmer, it's... It's not so much his stance on Brexit. I think he's just deathly afraid of the word Brexit. I think he wants to put it behind us because, I mean, Labour, they, there's a report that came out after the last election. And I think they lost about two million voters to who were leave voters and about a million who were remain voters. Um, and I think the Tories would love for Brexit to be a thing again. You know, it's, it's not that the battle is over, but, you know, Brexit as an event has occurred. And, he, you know, when you when you look at the priorities of most of the voting population, it's not up there anymore. You know, and I think we saw this a bit in the Tory leadership contest with, you know, like Penny Morden with, I'll get Brexit redone. You know, it was <laughs> such a brilliant wedge issue for them because it split the left apart, but primarily didn't split the right so much. Um, so I think I think Starber's just trying to avoid it by like the plague, really. Um, 
And there was, there was quite a funny interview with him on the news agents where he was saying like, oh, you know, I'm going to be refining our trade deal. You know, I'm going to be sort of like aligning trade. And I think Emily Maitlis is like, oh, almost like membership of some kind of shared market. And he's like, no, <laughs> no, 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 not that, not yeah. not the shared market. You know, and just to touch on the first past the post, you know, Lib Dem, Green, Labour thing, you know, first past the post and, you know, fixing with proportional representat- representation is something I feel incredibly strongly about. And I've kind of vacillated back and forth as to how I'm going to cast my vote in the next election. Um, And the way I see it, unless Starmer, because where I live realistically is going to be Labour. If I was in a marginal Tory seat, I might think differently. But I'm not, unless Starmer committed to proportional representation, which he won't, I'm not going to capitulate to first past the post and lend them my vote in the sort of vain hope that in the future they will rectify it. Because then you're just perpetuating the cycle. So I'm, I'm going to vote for the Liberal Democrats. And I think that Labour need to see that the left is divided and see that first past the post may not help them. In the next election, it probably will. And, uh, you know, I do worry that when the next election comes, if they get a landslide, they'll all go, oh, yippee, first past the post. That's brilliant, isn't it? You know, on our merry way. And then, you know, five years down the line, whack. Tory government again. That's the thing, isn't it? That's what they're all claiming. I don't see the Tories getting back in for a couple of elections, at least. So it's really interesting. I mean, they, they had that leaked report suggesting what they're going to pass in terms of legislation. And it does say proportional, or they're going to do something with the House of Lords. And that proportional representation is linked to that. What I'm hoping is that they'll make a double chamber. You know, proportional representation in the in the House of Lords. And, you, and they'll be based on voting patterns. So whatever you vote for, your vote counts. Right, but but they're not... They're not I, House of Lords and proportional representation are, are separate issues. And I, I think the thing about the House of Lords mm. is it's... Uh, and, and it is progressive, and it sounds progressive, but it's it's a bit safer than PR. You know, if, if they go, oh, we're going PR, you know, despite the hypocrisy, you know, the Conservatives are going to be sort of throwing alarms up, going, oh, we're all trying to rig the system, whereas... Not that they wouldn't do that with the House of Lords, but I feel like the general populace could be more easily swayed on that one. I'm suggesting something that some people might suggest is quite radical. You have two chambers. The House of Lords gets turned into proportional representation. So you scrap it, you get rid of hereditary and selected peers. It's all proportional representation. So whatever party gets whatever number of votes, they get representation in the House of Lords, and they're considered to be based on the percentage vote across the country. The reason you do that is that you have a dual chamber system. You pass the legislation through both chambers at the same time like they do in the US. And that means you can then establish a constitutional system. And with a constitution, you then give power to the Supreme Court. So a government can't get completely out of hand, but you still retain lots of powers within the commons. And that way you get a little bit of everything. And that's my personal preference. I know it's quite different and I totally get why you're saying how you could see House of Lords and proportional representation as separate things. But for me, that that would be a way forward because it would actually mean your vote counts for something. Whether it, you know, you might not get your local representative, but your vote goes to a total tally, which then means it actually counts. And I'm hoping it will drive people to go to the box and go, you know what, even though I'm not getting my local rep, because as you said, in your area, it's probably a split between Lib Dems and, um, and, and Labour. For me, I'm in a Labour majority seat and I do not like my local representative. I'm very, very pissed off with them over a lot of the stuff that's been happening locally. So I couldn't consider voting for them. So I would I would love it if I could vote for someone else. Um, 
I'm going to flip this to Max because Max, obviously you can't vote in in the UK, but if you could, who do you think you might consider voting for? <coughs> Rejoining well, the EU party? Oh, uh, <laughs> of course. Um, well, it, of course, it would depend on the the constituency. So if it was a marginal and I wanted the Tories out, I'd vote for Lib Dems, I'd vote for Greens, I'd vote for uh, the Labour Party, whoever it is, that in order to keep the Tories out. But but I just want to go back to the main point we were talking about a bit earlier about, um, about Starmer. There was an inter- interesting report published this week or last week by um, Best for Britain. And they, they predicted that if the Reform UK party uh, runs against the Tories, uh, Labour could, could end up with a, a majority of 140. But if Reform UK don't run, like the Brexit party decided not to run in 2019 to the same extent, um, it could end up being a, a hung parliament. And um, what's, what's popular in the red, in the red wall is the opposite in the in the blue wall. So in the blue wall, the there are uh, liberal conservatives who'd be willing to vote for the Labour Party um, if uh, Starmer is you know is open is more pro-European. But if he's at more, if he continues to support Brexit in a sense in the red wall, then these people are willing to come back to Labour. So he's caught in a in a sort of a fix because if he talks a lot about Brexit. Uh, he's going to annoy people in the red wall but if he doesn't talk enough about it he's going to annoy people he's he's going to turn off potential voters in the blue wall so i think i think starmer is playing this one very carefully where he's he's not talking about brexit because it doesn't see it's no longer you know one of the main issues like in 2019 it seems to be um especially for red wall voters their primary primary uh, concerns are um, cost of living and the nhs 60 percent roughly are saying that brexit was wrong do you not think that's something to take into consideration i mean ben you were, you were bringing up earlier how you were seeing on twitter that a lot of joiners rejoiners are very pissed off with Starmer. they are but I'd, I'd go back to what max <clears throat> said at the beginning of his little piece there was that if you live in a, in a marginal i i use an example on a video tonight of berry north where the Tory majority at the last election was 105. I think it was 46.2% to the Tories, 46.0% to Labour. Whatever I felt about Labour, the Lib Dems or Greens, if I happened to be living as a rejoiner in Bury North, it would be my duty to vote. I wouldn't have a clear conscience if I didn't vote Labour, no matter what they say about the issue, because my, my, my objective has got to be to get the most corrupt government we've ever had in this country out of power so we can get some grown-ups back in the room who will at least listen. And I think it's important people remember that all the things that they are angry about are caused by 13 years, certainly the last seven years of Tory government, not Labour. You know, it was the PPE scandal, the care home scandal, a line to the Queen, the illegal proroguing of Parliament. that is on them and if you can't see the bigger picture and just say yeah okay i live in a marginal i haven't got the luxury of being able to vote for what i want i've got to go home with a clean conscience i've got to vote labor despite the 
batshit things that Kier is coming out with. And I do not, I mean, I understand what Max is saying, but I think some of the things he's saying are just unnecessary. And I can't believe he's being advised to say things like they're stealing our dinner money. Yeah. We will never rejoin the single the single market. You don't need, if you want to say nothing about Brexit and avoid the issue because it's toxic on both sides to your potential base, then say nothing. But he's not saying nothing. He's saying some things that I'm finding really hard to understand where he's going with. I really am because he's potentially cutting off a really healthy stream of new votes coming to him from rejoiners that are looking to someone to say, yep, yeah, um, it's baby steps, but we'll rebuild those bridges. And by the next election in 28, 29, we will hope to position the electorate in a place where they are absolutely for rejoining the single market and customs union. And that's what we'll campaign on in five years time. Now, that's what I want to believe the Labour Party want to do. And they want to use these five years to get to that place. But it's not going to be possible if, as Max says, the Reform Party field candidates and split the vote on the right, great. But if they don't, we don't know what they're going to do. We don't know whether Nigel Farage will make a return to politics as he's threatened. But it's always been the way, hasn't it? The left is divided because there are four or five parties. And the right at the moment, it's just the Tories who have become the ideologues of Brexit, the Brexit party. It's really difficult. And I've got every sympathy with anyone who doesn't know what to do. Because it is hard to say, well, I, I can't with all good conscience vote for Labour because they're a Brexit party now. I want to believe they're not. And I'm I worry that I'm being very naive in that belief. But it's it's a very difficult one. It really is. No, but <laughs> I but I, I know of people who who voted for Labour in 2019 and are saying, no, I'm going to vote for I'm going to make a protest vote. I'm going to vote for mm -hmm. the Greens or I'm going to vote for yeah. somebody else because I, I don't they don't deserve my vote. Yeah. And this is, you know. I think, and I said this before, is I think Starmer has has this belief, or, and I hope I'm wrong, but I think he has this belief that, well, you know, Remainers have nowhere to go. So the, all they have is Labour. And if you do that, if you continue down that road, you're you're going to piss people off and they're going to go, I'm, I'm staying at home or I'm going to vote for somebody else. And then we don't want to be coming back here, you know, the day after the election going, what the hell went wrong? <laughs> and saying, Again. well, maybe it was, maybe, you know, maybe Labour should have uh, opened out, you know, reached out to the to the mm. Remainers because at the end, uh, the Tories are back in again. Let's hope that doesn't happen. I think the other question is, is to what degree is it still that wedge issue? I mean, obviously, everybody in this conversation and probably yeah. listening cares deeply about Brexit, but uh, still listed Brexit in their top five issues or something. Uh, you know, I, I think he's he's banking on the fact that the, the group of individuals that feel strongly enough to desert Labour over the Brexit issue is is small enough to not dent them. Whereas, you know, like I was saying earlier, you know, if, if, if he allows the whole debate just to erupt up again, yeah. it, it, that's not a good thing for Labour, I think. Yeah. But it's not going to... They've got the customs checks that they're going to have to renew. And then you've got a huge problem with that in itself. It was really interesting listening to Gemma Ford take on Richard Tice. She did a good job. And you know what? Scotland has been completely ignored. Northern Ireland has been completely and ignored. Don't forget Gibraltar. 90% didn't want this. Swathes of the population are just thinking... If they didn't want this, well, what have I got out of this? And then plus, the people who have been failed as well by Tories, I'm sorry, in the Agreed. last decade, where they have left places to rot, Agreed. quite frankly. They haven't funded public services. So it was very easy for Nigel Farage and his ilk to come in and put posters up and say, it's their fault, it's their fault, and we're about to receive all these people over from Turkey. I'm really glad you Lie. mentioned the point about very angry with with the crap he's going on the conspiracy theorist line and stab in the back hitler-esque 
we were cheated by Remainers when, you know, the majority of the Conservative Party are considered a Brexit party. In fact, he's won in many ways because the two major parties are Brexit parties. I mean, how delightful is that for a Brexiteer? You might argue over what type of Brexit you want, but they've got it. I was just going to say, anybody that watched the footage of their conference will be of no doubt that the Reform Party are not a serious party. Yeah. I mean, some of the stuff that was said from that stage is 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 beyond parody. I am white and I don't feel ashamed. I am a woman and I don't have balls down there, but I have balls, I tell you that. Alex Phillips, I mean, she was just batshit bonkers. But Richard Tice himself, obviously Anne Widdicombe. I mean, if you can put aside the, the 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 quality of her voice, and anyone who can listen to that for more than five seconds is, you know, is, it deserves a medal in my book. But they're not a serious party, and I I I I, I struggle. I mean, I put them in the same group as say the Re is it Reclaim Party, Lawrence Fox's party. Mm. I mean, is anyone really going to buy that? I mean, they know that if they vote vote if they want Brexit, if they want to continue down that path, the Tories are a safe bet. Why would they deviate from that? I so can't Lawrence Fox got. Five million for his London mayoral campaign. Yeah. He got beat by Nico in the joining you party came eighth and they had zero budget. Yeah. So you're going, okay, but he got five million quid. It's yeah. just obviously he did a terrible campaign with that amount of money. Like that's awful. But he's got supporters. You've got the reform party, they've got money. Yeah. And they did get votes, and I don't think they're gonna back off in the next election because I think Nigel Farage has learned from that. He gave way yeah. too much power to the Tories. And actually, that's the problem with our parliamentary system on a bigger yeah. picture. It's shit. And I said, this is the one thing before, I, you know, I wasn't really involved in politics. I was teaching it, but I wasn't involved. The one thing I said about Brexit is, if you do this, you are giving a shitload of power to a very small cabal. Inside the EU, power is actually separated because we have a constitution. We have two Supreme Courts that we can go to in case our government goes a little bit batshit. There are controls in place. Right now, you've got the House of Lords, which they can select people for, and the fucking monarch who does dick all. I mean, literally, just sits there and takes it, you know, lies to the Queen, and it's absolutely fine. You know, she says, yeah, have another party, and then puts Liz Truss in power, because apparently you've got to get permission from the monarch. I mean, obviously, that would have caused a controversy, but then again, you're going, well, maybe they sh that's what they're there for. But, you know, this is the... What, for the monarch to decline the... Uh... I, do, I have to say, I do disagree with that. The monarch's oh, there yeah. as a figurehead. You cannot have, no matter but, what they're doing, you cannot have the head of state interfering and going, no. Although it would have been good if, if said uh, Liz Truss, actually go away, <laughs> come back after you've learned some sums. <laughs> Did you see um, when so, she went okay, to okay. Charles and he went, hello, Liz, back again, dear, yeah. oh dear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, cl I'll clarify. I'm not advocating that. What I'm, what I was going to say was, there are two views on the monarchy from pro-monarchists. One is that they're meant to have a political duty, and the other one is that they're there and that they're important for some reason. And the other one is they're just a figurehead. And if you listen to most monarchists, it seems to flip flop. But there is a sense of duty that the monarchy is meant to have a role within politics. It's just for some reason within the last fifty or sixty years that role has been. Sorted off, but historically they are meant to be the arbitrator in Parliament. I'm happy to say they shouldn't be there at all. I don't want them. I think it's absolutely antiquated and backward, and it doesn't serve its purpose. 
but it, it does legitimately have a legal role within our system and it's completely failed. And therefore, what the fuck is the point in it? Go on, Ben. I can see arguably, thing. over the last five, six years, there have been so many times when the head of state, the monarch, could have stepped in and said, this is going wildly wrong here. I, I'm not siding with any political party, but the situation we're in, it needs a general election immediately. That's all they needed to say at various points. And then we're getting into the debate now about whether you have a non-executive or an executive head of state. And I think this is one of the arguments that a lot of anti-monarchists are divided on as well. And, you know, you could look to Ireland, for example. Um, it's Mr. Higgins, isn't it, yes. Max? Um, I mean, is he an executive or a non-executive head of state? Non-executive. Yeah, it kind of works, doesn't it, really? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we're too tempted to look at America and see it like that, where the head of state is is very executive um depending on who it is but you know i i don't know what the solution to that is i think that for me the issue we started talking about was basically how to rejoiners vote how do people that are anti-brexit vote and i think we've hit the nail on the head in the fact that it's an imperfect electoral system that we have therefore our response to that is going to be imperfect you know i can't hand on heart vote i'd vote green or lib dem any day of the week at the moment probably green but I would be flushing my vote down the loo in Bishop Auckland, where Labour mounts the only feasible alternative to Deanna Davison, the sitting. She's going to she's going to step down, but the, the the Tory MP, and I hate it because I'm not remotely inspired by Labour at the moment. Not remotely. I'm really not. I don't have a clue what they stand for. It seems to flip and change every five minutes. I've at least got an idea with the Greens that they want to rejoin the European Union when the time is right whatever that means. And I'm pretty certain with the Lib Dems, they're on a similar kind of path. You know, that 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 came out in their conference, I think, quite strongly. But again, it's it only, came out in the conference that PR, that we need PR, and Keir's ignoring it. It's, so, the, it's, it's only the SNP who want to rejoin, and apart from the rejoining well, new party. <laughs> but that's a different... Uh... Well, under, with no conditions, but I believe I'm right in saying that the Green Party do want to rejoin when the conditions are right, whatever that means. So that, you know, I know it's it's so suitably and wonderfully vague that it could mean anything, couldn't it? <laughs> Whenever I get on, on the topic of pretty much anything with somebody about politics, someone who cares about the environment, somebody that cares about, you know, judicial reform, whatever it is, you know, I always just want to say to people, forget it. Literally put down your placards and put all your effort into PR, because until that is fixed, any other campaigning is meaningless. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, and this is why you end up with people gluing themselves to roads, because that's the only way they can try and affect change on something like the climate crisis, because yeah. campaigning for the Green Party, frankly, why would you bother? Because unless you're in Brighton, you know, votes in the bin. And even that now is up for grabs, isn't yeah, it? Today? Caroline, Lucas, Caroline Lucas stepping down. So I think Brighton quite like having the only Green member i've never heard a bad thing so far yeah i'd be yeah. interested to see who the replacement candidate is or if it yeah. has, has their heart turned green from an outside perspective of sorts do you see brexit being able to succeed i mean they've cited germany as being a failure of the eu and yet no one talks about northern <laughs> ireland being this economic powerhouse at the moment no oh, well it's, it's inconvenient to talk about northern ireland you know even rishi sonic was was presenting Northern Ireland as a massive uh, win for... But then as soon as it was asked, well, can we have something like Northern Ireland? No, 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 no. Um, no, Britain can't have... Because um, Northern Ireland is a unique uh, entity in the world. But, you know, it's interesting when you said about Germany. So my when 
a lot of the Brexiteers have been saying, oh, look, Germany is going into recession. Germany's in the EU. Britain isn't facing a recession this year. See, Brexit is a success. My follow-up question to that is, well, when Bre when Germany comes out of recession, what does that mean? Does it mean the Brexit is a success or a failure? Yeah. Because if your argument is, well, Germany's in recession, that means Brexit is a success. When Germany comes out of recession, but then you could why why pick on Germany? Why pick on why not pick on France or other countries in Europe um, that are not in recession? So if you're going to talk about countries that are in recession, why why just focus on Germany? I know it's it's similar to the UK economy. But it's just another attempt by Brexiteers to say, look, we're doing well because of Brexit. And none of them have actually come up with a, a reason why um, why the UK has avoided a recession because of Brexit. It's, it's, it's a technical, you know, it's a technicality. It's, it's, but it's, it's also it's confirmation important. bias, isn't it? I mean, people of all, of, of all ilks will look around for any evidence that supports their existing view and ignore everything else. So it's very handy for Lee Anderson to talk about um, <laughs> Germany then, isn't it? Because it, it, he, think, he thinks it suits his point of view. And like you say, Northern Ireland certainly bucks the trend just a little bit. I mean, Rishi Sunak dropped that bizarre bombshell um, with his uh, extolling the virtues of the single market in relation to Northern Ireland. And he's been quite quiet on it since. But yeah, I mean, it will be an economic powerhouse. The, the, the benefits of being in our internal market and the EU single market can't really be overstated. No, I was just going to say that there's been so many reports that have been buried away down the feeds on the BBC and in Sky and Channel 4 of missed opportunities for businesses investing in the UK not necessarily all of them going to Northern Ireland, but they're certainly not coming here. I know there was the battery um, situation, the semiconductors, I think it was. Yeah. And there's going to be more and more and more of those. And the general public aren't aware, and they don't also do the maths of how that actually affects them and the money going into their back pocket. You see, all, all Rishi Sunak's five pledges are suitably vague. You know, fix inflation, fix waiting lists, do something about the boats. It's, it's, it's all so... These are almost existential kind of things that don't actually impact real people's lives. They don't mean anything. You know, most people, like I think someone said earlier about, you know, in the Red Wall, they care about how much money they've got coming in and what's going out. You know, the, the, the cost of living crisis. They care about simple things that they can see being fixed or either not fixed in the short term. All these big highfalutin ideas, uh, you know, inflation. What, what does inflation mean to the, the average person on the street? It doesn't mean very much. Um, so I think uh, in relation to the, the overall topic of Brexit benefits or or not, like I said, well, there are no, there are, there are no benefits. We know that. So you're looking around and scrabbling anywhere in the dirt for something that suits your argument. And, and as Max said, well, what happens when Germany comes out of recession? That kind of shoots that argument in the foot then, doesn't it? But then these people think in the nanosecond, they think, well, what is expedient for me right now? I'll say it. And I won't worry about whether things change in the next five minutes or half an hour or a couple of months. I'll say it now because that's all that really matters. It'll get reported. People will believe it. We'll move on. So it's 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 tomorrow's fish and chip wrapper, as far as I'm concerned. So anything Lee Anderson says, it doesn't even <laughs> qualify for that highfalutin status. <laughs> I mean, God. It qualifies for the rubbish bin. Speaking of well, rubbish bins... Yeah. How's everything going with uh, TikTok? Is it headed for the rubbish bin as well? Um, right. <laughs> well, um, I mean, I've been I've developed quite an interest in this recently because, as you may know, there's a lot of discussion in America, particularly about banning TikTok. Um, 
Now, this all originates from the fact that TikTok is owned by a Chinese parent company called ByteDance. Um, now, but the thing is, is basically TikTok is collecting a lot of personal data on individuals. And I think quite a lot of basically personality profiles is how their algorithm works. Now, we all know that social media companies are doing this. We all know that Facebook's doing it, Instagram, Twitter, on and on. Um, the question of concern is, is who owns this data and who is able to access it. In China, in 2016, they passed something called the Internet Security Law. And this basically states that any company will be compelled to hand over any government accessible within China to the Chinese Communist Party if it's deemed to be of relevance to national security. Now, the big question at hand is, is TikTok's data accessible within China? Now, TikTok say that it isn't, and they say it's held on servers in America and Singapore. But the thing is, is BuzzFeed got their hands on 80 leaked recordings from TikTok meetings, and they refer to a master admin in China who can access this data. Now, in, in my video, I kind of explored the comparison of Cambridge Analytica, because in Cambridge Analytica in the UK, we saw what happened, what happens when companies are able to access huge amounts of data in order to leverage people's voting behavior. And it's what essentially we might have with TikTok is sort of a Cambridge Analytica level of information, but accessible by the Chinese Communist Party. There's a lot of we don't knows. Uh, you know, we don't know exactly what the risk is, but there most certainly is a risk. And I, I think it does it's why it's being discussed by both Democrats and the Republicans, you know, that there is a concern there uh, to be discussed for sure. Can, can I ask a question about this? What could yeah. be a potential benefit for the Chinese communist government um, in having access to, for example, information about people on TikTok in, in Britain? Like what, um, in what way could it be used? So it all it comes down to propaganda and the data privacy. And it's essentially the so people are being fed, uh, you know, constant uh, news source through TikTok. And I think one of the dangers to TikTok is that unlike YouTube, YouTube, there's an algorithm at play, but you're still selecting your own content, whereas TikTok, you are being fed stuff. Um, so it's the idea that they could basically just just subtly thumb the scale of the nature of uh, videos that people are seeing. And this is an idea called amplifaganda. It's the idea that you you don't need to create any new content of your own. You just you just sort of increase the likelihood that other content is being shared. Think, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene or AOC, those kind of characters. Um, but then also, yeah, like, like I said, they may have access to this treasure trove if down the line, they decided that they wanted to do a bit more heavy-handed manipulation of politics. You know, we know Russia does stuff like that. So it's... Does it? It's, yeah. Yeah, did you know? Yeah. I, I had no idea. <laughs> Can I just ask a question to, to Simon on this? Because mm -hmm. I saw a report that you flagged up, which was that the TikTok management or CEO had refused the, the Chinese state government a stealth account for them to yeah. do just that, to disseminate their propaganda. Do you believe that that was just um, the fact that we know about that? Is that just a PR exercise on behalf of TikTok to appear to be transparent, not compromised, not in the pocket of the, the, the communist government? What, what was that all about? Because they've made a big thing about, no, we're not doing it. Um, I'm not sure about I'm not sure uh, 
if that specific incident, if that was announced by uh, TikTok or if that was discovered by journalists. But the thing is, the this BuzzFeed thing, you know, there was a lot of things discussed in the internal recordings that made it evident that TikTok was doing things that they stated they weren't, you know, that this data was accessible. But there's also been evidence as well uh, that has very much not been acknowledged by TikTok, that they have been suppressing certain topics like a uh, discussion of Hong Kong, uh, discussion of Vladimir Putin, um, you know, and, and sort of things vaguely critical of the CCP. I mean, it's we brought up the Mueller report, didn't we? I brought up the Mueller report, and it's interesting that that's happened. I would, I would turn around and say they're all doing it. I just went on my phone... And I checked two things. I checked all the tracking devices, everything that's tracking where your location is. Are you doing that now, Max? Are you now paranoid? Because <laughs> Simon... Tinfoil hat time. Version. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard not to become a bit tinfoil hatty, to be honest. I mean, like, the, the, well, the, the other thing is, is that all the things on your device that TikTok is looking at, is looking at your geolocation, it's looking at your calendars, it's looking at your contacts list. You know, it's... Yeah, there's a lot of stuff there. It's... But aren't they all doing that, though? Surely that is the they same are with Facebook, with Meta, so... with, with, with WhatsApp. I mean, I don't use TikTok. I haven't got it on my phone. And I'm very, I'm not worried about it for that reason. It's just another app that I don't want to have to break into. And I believe it, it's, it's favoured highly by young people. I think the most interesting thing that you said, though, about it that I wasn't aware of is that unlike YouTube, it not forces you, but it presents the thing you're going to look at. You got to you flip up, don't you, on the feed, video to video to video. There's no choice. So, like you say, they could easily um, slip in there whatever they want to grab your attention. Where at least with YouTube, you do have a degree of choice. You can look at a, a, a smorgasbord of choices and go, "I'm going to go with that one." Hmm. But you're still down the rabbit hole. So, um, Shuzi Chu, who is the uh, CEO of TikTok, um, Chinese, went to America to do this Senate hearing. And and he countered with that point. And a lot of people make the point of, oh, you know, the, the America are only doing this because the Chinese have beaten them at their own game and they're all at it. And it is a valid point. They are all doing it. it no, nobody's disputing that. It's just where the data is going, yeah. uh, you know, where, where it's being held. You know, and, and that's not to say that threats and propaganda can't come from within. They absolutely mm. can. Can I ask a related question to TikTok? Um I think it was th this week or last week, there was, um, there's a young guy, I, I forget what his name is, Missy, I think his name is, who yeah, has yeah, been causing yeah. a lot of trouble online. Uh, I, I've seen what's, what's happening now is a lot of uh, copycat activity. Um, I, I, I wouldn't blame TikTok for this because it's just the conduit that he's using. But um, do, do you guys think that there will be an attempt to crack down on TikTok over things like this? No. no. <laughs> no. <laughs> We've not seen it on any other platform to to a great degree and you i mean mizzy's just you know an arsehole he's just a guy who will do anything uh he, he, he just wants to be famous he doesn't care if he's infamous basically i think those kind of individuals have always existed and social media has always done a, a naff job of stopping them because well i, I mean i you know it, there's always the question around free speech and his behavior becomes something you should stop when it crosses the line into illegality which he now has done um but yeah, I, I don't think he has been kicked off, by the way. But I, you know, they're always very slow to the punch with these mm. things. Good pun, terrible mm. pun. <laughs> Was it a pun? I didn't plan for a pun. <laughs> no one ever does. Oh. I would, uh, I'd cite something that was quite interesting in two thousand and eleven. 
Time Magazine did an interview with uh, Mark Zuckerberg. And at that point, he was considered, you know, the guy because he did created Facebook. And one of the interesting things in that article was that partway through the interview at Facebook, Robert Mueller turned up and poked his head around the door and gave a hello to Time Magazine and said, all right, guys, how you all doing? Da, 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 da. And then left the room. And even Time, the person who wrote the article, can't remember their name, was like, what the fuck is, what, what is that? Why is the head of the FBI? And, and I mean, he extended his term as well. I didn't mean to do a 10 year term. He got 12 years, got another two under Obama. What was he doing there? And that makes me go, because the data, I, I, a friend of mine uh, must have been when Facebook kicked off. So what, that was at uni, so 2005, six. A friend of mine pulled me up and said, don't get on it because it harvests all your data. We all looked at him and thought he was a bit odd to say the least. And we didn't pay any attention. We thought, what could they do with that? And now, you know, several years later, Cambridge Analytica, Russia, both harvested that data to produce bots, to produce voting patterns, to target people. We know more about what Cambridge Analytica did in the States, which is in your amazing video, Simon. Thank you. Um, to target people and disenfranchise groups. The algorithm placed voters into one of eight categories. Most likely to turn out was the base. Core Trump on his side, core Clinton on hers. Those least likely to vote were marked as deadbeats and then disengaged for both sides. In the middle were the voters who might go either way and were open to persuasion. But also crucial were these two segments. On his side, they were called GOTV, get out the vote, and on the other, deterrence, voters who might be encouraged not to vote. The campaign would then create ads that could be targeted at the people in these groups through Facebook and other platforms. Now, the one thing I'll say about Cambridge Analytica in the States is the group that they specifically targeted were African-Americans disproportionately to put off voting. So they actively tried to disenfranchise a group that had been only until recently disenfranchised from voting or put off by white supremacists, which unfortunately, especially in the South, was a vast majority of people within power. And Cambridge Analytica are like, that's fine. I, they're happy to do that. They don't give a shit. I think they're even caught out on Channel 4 being like, do you need a girl to get into bed with them and cause a furore to knock them off as a candidate? We can do that. Was, oh, go on, Ben. Well, the the problem I'm going to make was, and you just made it uh, far better than I could, which is that the things we don't know and there's things we do know. It's all hearsay and suspicion and paranoia in some respects about TikTok because it's a Chinese-owned company, quite rightly so and understandably so, because we can't believe a word they say. If they say we're not interfering with it, well, do we believe them? But the point is we don't know. We don't know what damage they have done, what TikTok has contributed to in terms of any kind of electoral uh, swinging or fraud. But we do know what Meta's done. We do know what Cambridge Analytica has done with, with Facebook, with Meta's help. And it's huge. I mean, the, the, the consequences there with a bit of Russian involvement as well in America and the UK have been proven. Um, so in, in that respect, we should be considerably more concerned about Facebook, about Meta than we are about TikTok, considering that, that I think Facebook still has a does it have a bigger share of a, a bigger audience than TikTok. No, 
it does it just over one point three billion, isn't it? Exploded. Yeah, it, 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 it has. But but there's things we don't know. There's things we don't know. We don't know, and there's things we do know. And what we do know is what came with Analytica and Facebook did, and Meta did, um, and that is terrifying. I mean, it really is. And it's it's all still there with the potential to do it again. What what because we won't play? investigate because yeah. or at least in the UK. I mean, you, if you want to find out what happened in the UK, it's actually better to go and look at the Mueller report. Yeah. And and the US Russian interference report by the Senate, yeah, than it is to look at our own reports and you find out more. Hillary Clinton gave out more. I'm dumbfounded that this government won't release the report about Russian influence because every person who votes in this country deserves to see that report before your election happens. Why do you think they're not releasing it? I don't know the answer to that. I would think a, a reporter like you and others should be absolutely relentless in trying to get to the bottom of it. Because look, we know from even this current Trump administration's uh, intelligence uh, officials that the Russians are still in our electoral system. There's no doubt of the role that Russia played in our 2016 election and is continuing to play. There's a lot of evidence that Russia played in the Brexit election. Now, I'm not, you know, in your country. I don't have a, uh, an, a say about any of that. But the fact that the current government won't release this report by your own government should raise some questions. Then all of our mainstream media, and it's a clip that's been completely ignored, yeah. within mainstream media in the UK. And it, I assume it's all, you know, as you said, they're quite right wing there. Alex, I've discovered through the work I've been doing with, with my little radio show over the past two years particularly, is that if I want to know what's going on in my own country, go to Euronews, go to a news station in Australia, France, Germany, Spain, Italy, anywhere but the UK. Mm. And it's not that bad. I mean, some of the accusations levelled against ITV, the BBC particularly, do stand up they do have legs but i think if i want to know what's going on in this country i'm going to get a far more reliable take if i go to to france to germany to spain and i often do and i'm and i'm often i mean there was a story i think not too long ago of a, a tory councillor who had said that he was caught on 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 audio saying that every every white man and woman should have a black man or woman as a slave and that was barely reported in the uk i couldn't find anything on youtube about that reported on mainstream media but it was everywhere in europe and it's very interesting that there are things that we're not being told um they're out there you go looking for them um i'm not a conspiracy theorist when it comes to our mainstream media i mean I'm, i love byline times byline news uh you know sort of semi-professional agencies out there on youtube but it is shocking yeah all of us guys. But it is shocking, though, that I get a more reliable take about what's going on in politics in the UK by looking at, I don't know, France 24, Euronews. <laughs> it's, it's, it's weird. Do you feel like, Max, you live in Italy? Yeah. No, no, it's especially like, for example, when it comes to finance, the FT or Bloomberg, Bloomberg mm. in the US, um, the FT also in the US is they're more reliable. Um, yeah. because because they have because for two reasons first they're not trying to sell you something it's not a, there isn't an angle a political angle but also the second is that um, they have to provide because they have standards so if they if they mess up there are consequences uh, for yeah. example the financial times if they, if they mess up with the data or if they say well Germany's out of recession when Germany's not in a recession or whatever there are consequences for that they they lose support they lose their their the the badge of honor that they have as a as a reputable um source stocks and shares yeah, yeah that's one of their main target groups is stocks and shares isn't it you you never hear well i've, I've yet to see a a brexiteer point to the ft or bloomberg yeah to to, 
to 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 describe a benefit of Brexit. The the what what do they reach for? The Express, the Daily Mail. Why? Because they're they're on their team. Don't forget the vacuum cleaners. <laughs> the, the sweet UK watts. We're gonna be selling them to Australia. Tim Tams. What the fuck? What is a Tim Tam? They're pretty good, out. actually. To be I've fair, I've tried them. Yeah, they're, uh, but they're okay. They're okay. They're okay. Are they like they're, penguin? They're basically just Australian penguins, basically. Oh. It's like, oh, good day, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that was. We all gonna do? Are we all gonna try our Aussie accents now? Ah, just... uh, no, no, no. Right. I thought we might be segueing into the Australia deal. We are, we are, <laughs> and that was such a seamless segue. That was brilliant. Well done. I mean, that's really got me this week. I mean, the story in a nutshell is just—it's mm. just you could make a terrific film about it. It would—it would be like it would be more Spinal Tap than Spinal Tap. I don't know if you've ever seen the Bross documentary when the screaming stops. Everyone who's watched it can't work out whether it's parody or real. And it, I defy anyone to come away from that being certain whether it's a piss take. But no, the Australia deal is just great, isn't it? You've got George Eustace coming out saying that it's a bad deal for Britain, and he doesn't have to 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 shine or glitter the turd of the deal now that he's not on the front bench. You've got Boris Johnson at the time saying it'd be a good deal for British farmers. It'd be a good deal yep. for Australian farmers. That was the pledge. That was the promise. Um, and then this week, you've got all of Australian morning TV in fits and giggles. Uh, anyway, we have a new free trade agreement with the UK. Um, some British products will become cheaper. Exciting news. I just wonder... What does Britain actually have to offer us? I mean, there's there's, there's beautiful MGs. Uh, yeah, if we can imagine the top-down Matty riding. Here we are. This is you riding to the Calide Power Station earlier this morning with the top-down. Your, your hair blowing freely in the wind. Oh, hang on. The MGs owned by a Chinese Mustangs. company. Yeah, that's right. That's so true. what else do they have? There's black pudding, Cumberland sausages. That's oh, about it, isn't it? Carlos, there's a Spice Girls CDs, a nice, a nice cup of English breakfast tea. Don't oh, yeah. be so hard on All the right. All right, name one good export from the uh, UK, Matty. It's hard, isn't it? I suppose. <laughs> the peas, pea, peas, pies. I don't know. Yeah, it's very hard. But it's, this is about what we sell to them, Carl. Like, yeah, so no, it's, no. it's a good yeah. thing for us. Good All thing right. for us because we get to sell more beef and that's that's great for everybody in Australia. All right. And the footage I saw that really, really got me this week was the aerial footage of um, uh, Grassdale, the huge 70,000 cattle. Uh, they call it a feedlot. And it's ironically called Grassdale because there wasn't a blade of grass in sight. And this is this is hundred, well, this is tens of thousands of cattle with no shade, transported of course for up to forty eight hours without any food or water. You know they use hot branding. Um, they don't have CCTVs. There's no legal obligation to have CCTV in slaughterhouses in Australia. So that the standards that we had inherited from our relationship with the, the European Union. Um, out the window now, absolutely out the window. And the thing that really got me that I was amazed about was there's this institution called UCAS, E-U-C-A-S, mm. the European Union Cattle Accreditation Scheme. And you would think from a name like that, oh, right, that's the EU stepping in, making sure everything with Australia is, is hunky-dory and pucker. It's not. That organisation was created by the Australian beef industry as a way of making sure they could sell beef to the EU um, and pledging that it wouldn't have any, that there'd be no hormone injected beef going that way. They, they turned a blind eye to these massive um, field lots like Grass um, Grassdale. But of course, we're not in the EU anymore. So what we get won't even be that good. So it, it'll be the dregs of the dregs coming over to us. Can you guarantee 
that imports will have to be at the same standard that we grow. Yes, absolutely. There's no point in having high environmental and high animal welfare standards if you then allow them to be undercut from outside. And ultimately, if you have high standards here and then you allow food in from elsewhere, you're not really contributing to animal welfare or higher environmental standards. You're simply offshoring uh, those low standards, and that's wrong. So that's a red line with your trade colleagues, with Liam Fox and others who are negotiating or will be negotiating trade deals around the world. You're going to say absolutely no dilution. The imports must be to our standards. Absolutely. And as, as Liz, Web Liz Webster, say British Farming, has pointed out only this week, it, it, it's, it's all gone under the radar. That's what gets me about this deal. It's all slipped under the radar, despite the bombshells from people like George Eustace and everybody admitting it's a terrible deal and being laughed at by Australian TV. Do the average man and woman on the street in the UK have a clue about what has happened here? I don't think they do, because they're not being told. Boats, well, it's boats. Purely... Well, it's all boats, yeah, or boots now. Have you Richard Sunak? The, the, the footage of the enormous big brown boots the other day. There's some great memes on that, but it's all boats. It's all boats, and he's going to lose on that one, as he's going to lose with halving inflation. So, but who cares, eh? Who cares? It seems like we've gone full circle. Simon, what are your thoughts on the Australian deal? Do you like it? Um, well, I was just going to say it's it's purely symbolic. You know, it, it's you know it may, it was significant to the Tories as much as it was the first trade deal independent of the EU. It was just about getting that badge. I saw quite a funny meme about it, which is sort of like someone like popping champagne and like buying their medal on like stood on the bottom of a. 0.02% bar graph of the contribution to the GDP and then there's yeah. somebody stood on top of the EU uh, uh, membership uh, bar graph just sort of looking at them a bit confused mm -hmm. yeah it was yeah it's just a essentially a stunt you know and you know we've sacrificed freedom of movement with what 31 other nations for slight easing of farm work requirements for a year-long visa yeah, yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah, the thing was, oh, well, we can bring in farm workers from Australia. We can bring in au pairs from Australia. But whatever do whatever numbers do want to come, it, it's not sufficient. I will also make the point as well about um, the environmental aspect of yeah. it. You know, we're, you know so, so, so you're telling me that we're going to be shipping beef around the world from literally the other side of the planet rather than trying to access it from our own continent? Yeah. Well, that, that brings in the injection of the hormones. So when you read the EU reports into what the problem was with that, it's actually not the hormones being injected. It's the consequences of the hormones once they get filtered into the environmental ecosystem. Yeah. It knackers the ecosystem. That's the problem with it. That's why they're trying to stop Australia doing that. And the Australian farmers couldn't give less of a hoot because they're a pretty powerful block in Australia. They own huge swathes of land. And, and just a thing on what you were saying earlier about Northern Ireland. Well, what's going to happen now is there'll be more checks on goods moving from Great Britain into Northern Ireland because there's a higher risk that beef from Australia, which hasn't, yeah. which isn't meeting the standard that the EU want, um, can could flow into uh, into Northern Ireland and then into the EU. Um, mm. So they don't want that. So once again, I think Did we're. You... Going... Sorry, go on. Max, did you hear Richard Tice say that he doesn't want any checks on stuff coming into the UK, or he wants limited checks? He thinks there's too many checks right now. I didn't see that, but I, I'm not surprised. That's a have your cake and eat it comment, isn't it? Okay. So that's taking back control, right? <laughs> no control. No control by taking back control. 
And then it's the same with the borders. I remember Pretty Patel having to go to the Irish government and tell them to not take too many Ukrainians because yeah. they could just skip over the border into Northern Ireland. Which which they can't, but this was... The, yeah, because they, they can't... Um, the only people who can travel freely between <clears throat> Great Britain and Ireland are um, Irish and British citizens. So Ukrainians couldn't do that. So this was just... Couldn't they claim market. asylum in Northern Ireland, though? Well, they could claim asylum in Northern... But that would be, they wouldn't be claiming asylum in Northern Ireland. They'd be claiming asylum in the UK. So, okay. so, okay, so, they, so they would be, but I, I don't know the ability of refugees, their, their, their rights to travel, you know, between, between uh, Northern Ireland and the UK and, and Great Britain. But yeah, the, technically, yes, if they arrive in Northern Ireland, they claim asylum in the UK, but the uh, asylum process is, is not a devolved power to Northern Ireland. It's reserved in Westminster. But it seems like this is the, this is the crux of the problem. You've got one set of Brexiteers saying that they want no controls over the border and they want free trade with the world. There's another group of Brexiteers that's saying, no, no, we want you to protect our industry. But if you go for free trade, it will undercut and knock out our industries because we won't be able to compete. And if you go for the but, protectionism, it will shrink the economy but, but because I, I think, you'll be putting up barriers. But see, I think the problem is that people don't understand <clears throat> what free trade means. So they heard a oh, free trade. It sounds really good. So let's get more of that. But they don't understand that tariffs exist to protect local industries, um, and and you need those. To, and what's happening now with the the removal of these tariffs on Australian New Zealand products is it's going to decimate British farming because, as you said, they can't compete. You know how can you compete with? Like there are farms in Australia the size of Wales. Like how how's a, a how's a Welsh farmer supposed to compete with that, or a Scottish farmer, or an English farmer? They can't. And then you also have the regulations. So you know, and we we should get on uh, Liz Webster because she she knows this yeah. in and out, um, the ins and outs of this. Um, but it's 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 just going to get worse as well. I can't see a way out to resolve the issues of Brexit, other than to rejoin. I literally either you have either you shrink your economy permanently. Or you allowed free trade in and you knock out all your industries. I think or whatever uh, industries are allowed free trade. Go on, Simon. Uh, I mean, my my future long term prediction for Brexit is that over many decades we will, and I think it will be a sort of a. It will, it will, I don't think there'll ever be a we're joining the single market moment. I just think over many decades we will just, through the force of common bloody sense, just have to gravitate closer to it. You know, Switzerland didn't sort of have an immediate joining the, the single market moment. They they joined through, through I think three sets of bilateral agreements. I think we'll just do that. It will just be piecemeal, and you know, and and as it as it leaves the public consciousness in 20 years, there'll be another little deal. And, you know, 10 years later, another one, and we'll just move closer over time because economic forces be, will push us that way. I think it'll be quicker than that. I mean, the EU have already I said... I hope it will. I don't think so either. I think the EU said they don't want another Swiss deal. They've said, no. we're never doing that again. Go on, Ben. Well, I, I mean, I think Simon's completely right. I think we will gravitate back towards Europe and whether it's by stealth or under the radar, under the counter, I don't know. But every single month that we are in the situation that we're in, more damage is being done to families in this country, to businesses in this country. And that's only going to increase whether or not we bring these checks in in October. I mean, I think it was only this week, Reese Mogg has reiterated again that he thinks free trade is particularly advantageous for all countries. And I, he obviously has some kind of a grasp on what free trade is be, because he said that several times. But 
I, I, I just don't think we can afford to wait for the, the sort of the natural way of things to gravitate or magnetize us back towards Europe. I think, and this is where I'm, I'm surprised that Keir Starmer didn't have the balls to grasp this as part of his sort of pre-election manifesto. How many constituencies are there? 630? There was a poll, wasn't there, a few months ago, and only three of the constituencies in the entirety of the UK believed um, that, uh, well, all but three believed that Brexit was harmful. It was a mistake. It was a bad idea. And only one of the three that was undecided, Skegness and Boston, I believe, still think it's a good idea. Now, you would think that that, as if you were one of Starmer's advisors, you take that data and say, well, look at this. You know, 99% of constituencies in the UK think Brexit was a mistake. It should therefore be pretty safe for us to talk about this and say, we're not going to reverse it, but we're going to put to bed some of the real damage that's been done straight away. You vote Labour, we're back in the single market, we're back in the customs union. That will solve 80% of our problems and a significant proportion of our food inflation will be solved overnight. You know, all the people, all the vacancies, the 40, 100,000, whatever it is, vacancies of the NHS, again, solved not perhaps overnight, but over a, a short period of time. My worry is that if we wait and wait and wait for us naturally to do the inevitable, we'll be in such a weak position as a country that the the the, the incline and the, the, the rate of incline back to where we really need to be, where we were before, seven or eight years ago, will take another 30, 40 years. And this is all lost generations. I, and I, I'm I, just... I, I, yeah, no, I, ju I just want to come in on that because um, in order for the UK really, the, I think there's only real, really one route uh, to the single market and that's through EU membership. But the problem here is that the EU have to also accept that. So it's not, we, we, we talk a lot about what does, the, what does Britain need to do, what needs to change. But um, yeah. we don't mention a lot about, because for the EU it'll be like, okay, back to the, back of the queue like everyone else. There may, there may be uh, the possibility to jump a few countries because, you know, the size of the UK market, we could, we could argue about that. But um, the EU is not going to take on board a country who's like, you know, well, this week we want to be, you know, a member of the EU, but next yeah. week we don't. So I, I think massive, massive change has to take place. PR has to be, has to Absolutely. be brought in. And, and you have to have, you have to have, you have to have, consensus in britain that yes we want to be a member of the eu um there has to be a pro a very strong pro uh, eu feeling in the country and something and i and i've mentioned this on the channel maybe on some of the streams before something you you i didn't know i didn't see when britain was a member of the european union and look i and i believe there's a lot of pro european politicians in britain but something you didn't see was when tony blair was and and People can check this and, and I'll correct myself if I'm wrong. But if you go back in time to when Tony Blair was prime minister and he was giving a speech outside number 10, the EU flag was never there. But if you look mm. at other European leaders today and in the past, every time they delivered a speech, there was the national flag next to the EU flag. Yeah. So I think, you know, why did that not happen? Was it because politicians were like, yeah, we, we like the EU, but not that close. I think that has to change. Like when we start to see um, a situation where Tory, the Tories are saying, yeah, we need to get back into the EU, um, where the general public are like, yeah, we need to get back in. I think it's important that we don't just go down the road of, well, people don't want, people are not happy with Brexit. That automatically means that they want to get back into yeah. the EU. 
But yeah, it, I'm, I'm completely aware of that. And you're right. It's it, There's a big gulf. There's a gap between being unhappy with Brexit and that translating into a solution when there's only one. As, as Alex has said, there's only one. But Simon's completely right. I don't think the EU are going to be keen to take us back when our politics is so polarised and at risk of being polarised again. Proportional representation is the answer to that. And I sadly don't see a route to that unless we have a minority Labour government with a very strong hand from the Lib Dems and the yeah. Greens in that coalition, which is what I'm hoping for. We have a cult, <laughs> which is sort of hidden in the background. I'll see if we can bring it a bit forward. Um, we have a lava lamp cult that we are cultivating and it's growing quite rapidly. In fact, people are buying lava lamps. We're as, big, we're as big as the fishing industry, I think, at this stage, no, Alex? <laughs> I do think yours looks a bit like Dr. Zeus's penis. <laughs> well, I've never seen Dr. Zeus's penis. I can't possibly comment. But I yeah. noticed that Max and I don't have one. So we're clearly <laughs> the doghouse there. So What, a penis? Uh, no, uh, uh, both. A lava lamp and a penis. <laughs> Although I can't speak for Max. Yeah, what porn have you been watching to access Dr. Zeus? <laughs> Don't well, they say rule, rule 33, is it? <laughs> it's basically, if it, if it exists, there will be a pornography of it, is rule 33 of the internet. That, that's what I'm hoping for. And I'm wondering whether secretly that's exactly what Keir Starmer's hoping for as well, because then he can say, I've not broken any promises. You know, obviously we've gone into bed with the with the, uh, the Lib Dems and the Greens, so we've got to take on board some of their ideas, and this is what's important to them. So that's now part of our agenda, our policy making. Um, and that gets him off the hook. I just wish he'd not said some of these definitive things that he said about Europe, about about <laughs> stealing our dinner money. No. I'm sorry <laughs> to say, inevitability has reached us, and we're at an end. Ah. Oh. Thanks, everyone. Good stuff. Bye-bye. Thank guys. you, guys. Bye. Come back soon. <laughs>